1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to hour number two of Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. And as always, you can follow us online at KDOS1060.com. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until one o'clock as we're live from Super Bowl Radio Row. We'll reset everything uh, here on the program, but we're going to go out first here. Adam Budelli with StubHub is happy enough to join us here. Adam, how's the day going? It's going great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so StubHub here. Let's get into the nitty gritty details about what's going on with Super Bowl 57. What are currently the cost of tickets and what are we kind of seeing that as in relation to maybe last year's Super Bowl or a couple of Super Bowls ago? Yeah, as we sit here Thursday morning, you know, the heat is on officially. You know, you can start feeling the buzz around the city and obviously here at Radio Row it's starting to pick up. So we actually saw our biggest sales uh, window over the past 24 hours heading into the weekend. So currently we have about 3,400 tickets still available on StubHub and the get-in price is hovering right around 30 $3,200. So to put it in perspective, you know, we're kind of right in line with mirroring that 2020, the last pre-pandemic Super Bowl, which was Chiefs Miami, or sorry, uh, Chiefs 49ers down in Miami. And that's kind of been our benchmark. Obviously last year was a little bit unique, still kind of a little bit during the COVID window. And then you also had a home team. So pricing was a little bit off. Absolutely. Uh, so you mentioned average price is about $3,200. So what's the most expensive ticket left available? And does it get you anything more than just general admission? So we don't typically focus on, you know, because again, we don't handle any of the pricing on our on our site. So someone can put a absurd price out there, not necessarily indicative of where the market is. So what we're focusing on is the average ticket price sold so far is 6,800. And so put in perspective, that's currently right around third in terms of the last kind of 10 Super Bowls where the average ticket price is. So certainly right up there, obviously heading into the weekend, maybe the price goes back up given the limited amount of tickets and the amount of demand we expect. A little bit too early to predict where that number will end up. Fair enough. He's Adam Budelli with StubHub here on Radio Row in Extra Point. So how much does the site of the Super Bowl and the teams that are playing in the Super Bowl kind of dictate the price and where the price goes? Yeah, certainly we sell about 90 to 95% of our tickets after championship Sunday games are done. So that kind of puts in perspective. End of the day, it's all about the matchup. How big are the fan bases are, how close they are to the proximity certainly helps. And then you add in a beautiful location here at Phoenix, Miami a couple years ago, LA. The warm weather, especially when you're bringing in the Chiefs and Eagles, I'm sure their fans would love to be here regardless if they end up with a ticket or not because of everything around. So that those are typically the biggest things, but right now the focus really is those two teams and the fact that we're seeing majority of our sales kind of come from the Northeast. What advice would you give to fans right now who are still looking and debating, hemming and hawing whether or not they should get involved in Super Bowl 57? Yeah, in general, the first thing I'd say is safety first. This is going to be a mobile-only event, which is how the Super Bowl's been going past few years. So never buy tickets off the street, never buy in cash. You always want to make sure you're using a trusted, safe source like a StubHub that we do have 100% verified NFL tickets since we're partners with them. The next piece is start monitoring. As I mentioned, there's only 3,400 tickets left. We do get used to you know going to Cardinals or D-backs games or down to Tempe ASU, um, where the prices sometimes go lower, closer to the game, and you're tailgating or whatnot. 
For a Super Bowl, they very well can spike over the weekend as you head closer to the game with the limited number of tickets and the amount of fans in the area. So if you are interested in going and it falls within your budget, it may be a good time to go ahead and purchase that. Is there anything that I haven't mentioned that you think is impertinent to share with the listening audience? No, I think we kind of covered it all, but uh, look, I think the one thing I'd point out since you're local is that you know this is such a great city, and the amount of, I think, Super Bowls and other big events coming up, like the Final Four mm-hmm. and other things like that. Uh, underrated sports town, to say the very least, so excited to be here, and I think hopefully a lot of the local fans get a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Well, Adam, I really appreciate you taking some time and helping us navigate this StubHub and Super Bowl 57. Have a great rest of the week. Yeah, same to you. Thank Once you so again, much. he is Adam Budelli there with StubHub. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, Bob, I'll bring you back in here as we are uh, here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. Let's do a reset of our poll questions here as we would typically at the top of the hour. KDOS 1060.com. Who wins Super Bowl 57? Tossing this over to Corey, Chiefs or Eagles, who's out in front? Leading still the Eagles. 59% of the vote, 41% for the Chiefs currently still on KDOS 1060.com. And on Twitter, at KDOS AM 1060, which unit has the advantage on Sunday, Chiefs defense or Eagles offense? Leading still, Eagles offense. Now 66.7% of the vote, Chiefs defense over at 33.3 on KDOS AM 1060 on Twitter. All right, and as uh, we just kind of go around the NFL here, news did come out yesterday for local product Brock Purdy. Uh, what's going on with his elbow? He has made the decision to have surgery on his MCL. It looks like I saw the surgery date is scheduled for February 22nd. In addition to that, the team sources telling the athletic that he should be ready and good to go by training camp. Yeah, I think the key here is the you know, the UCL thing, uh, the surgery for that, and uh, the fact that you know it's not he's not going to have Tommy John surgery. You know, he is unfortunately, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I'm sure they uh, you know, looked into this in in great detail. Keith Meester, uh, who is the Texas Rangers uh, you know, team doctor, among other things, uh, that's the man he's going to have the surgery performed by, and. He's done plenty of, you know, these, this is more of a baseball. We talked about this when it happened last week, um, a couple weeks ago, uh, when Purdy got hurt. You know, the UCL injury for a quarterback is unusual. It's more like a baseball pitcher. So I think it uh, certainly seems to be smart on uh, you know, Team Purdy here uh, that uh, he inquired the advice of a, uh, you know, somebody that's done lots of, uh, you know, surgeries for baseball starting pitchers before. Absolutely. As someone who has had various different surgeries throughout your professional career, you want to make sure you're getting the appropriate advice. And oftentimes there are differing opinions and uh, sometimes someone sees something differently on the imaging, etc. Sometimes what ends up happening is uh, they don't know exactly what's going on until they get in. I mean, imaging has come a long way, but sometimes there's things that kind of you, you see it for yourself firsthand and make that decision. But having different expertise, having different opinions, that certainly goes a long way in helping to formulate what you want to do because these are massive decisions for your career. I mean, I'm sure if you were to go three weeks ago, four weeks ago, Brock Purdy's not thinking about next year. He's thinking about each game at a time. However, he is chronologically setting himself up for a potential starting role as the San Francisco 49ers. So if you want to have a long career in the NFL, you need to make good choices now for uh, your surgery and for this elbow issue. 
Yeah, also you got the Trey Lance factor here, though, too. Uh, yeah, we've learned in the last you know, couple of weeks here that uh, you know, Lance coming off of his surgery, his leg surgery, uh, he's expected to be, at least he says, that he's going to be ready for uh, you know, a lot of the offseason activities. And uh, that's going to obviously give him a jump start on Purdy as far as uh, you know, OTAs and, and you know, minicamp, et cetera. And it doesn't seem, it seems like the best case scenario is that Purdy would be ready for the start of training camp in the, the middle or end of July. And I believe to your point as well about Trey Lance that he joined uh, Rich Eisen at some point this week and was discussing his rehab situation. And he's still got a couple of weeks left to go to get ramped up before he can go full go uh, with running and conditioning and things like that. So he's still progressing in his return from injury. Yeah, and the fact you know, that he actually spoke with the San Francisco media when they had their uh, you know, final, you know, official kind of locker room, you know, you know, bag your your clothes and go home thing from your lockers. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, that's kind of where this all started, at least to my knowledge, that uh, Lance had made that kind of recovery. At least that he was on that kind of time uh, timetable to. Uh, be ready for the because you know, literally the mini camp stuff that doesn't start till the end of April, first part of May. Yeah, and then you also have the other factor here with the 49ers. I mean, they've went through four quarterbacks this year, um, and one of those quarterbacks is Jimmy Garoppolo, but it is official that he has no future with the 49ers. Well, I don't know if it's quite official. I mean, we kind of got tied into this situation last year, right? But, I mean, a lot more has even happened since then. Yeah, Mike Shanahan basically quoted as saying that, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, that we're done with Jimmy G. And, yeah, I know The Athletic had a you know, detailed story, of which I didn't get to read the whole thing. I read you know, bits and pieces and kind of just some highlights that uh, you know, there was some kind of issue uh, between Garoppolo and Lynch and also Shanahan during the week of the game against the Eagles, before the Eagles. And, uh so, because yeah, remember, there was speculation that you know, if they made it to the Super Bowl, that Garoppolo would maybe be available uh, for them to play in that game. So I don't know. It's it's a mess, and it certainly seems to have escalated in a far uglier. Maybe that's the wrong term, but there's uh, certainly more friction between the two sides than there was a year ago at this time. When he would seem like they were just waiting to see where they could trade him. Remember last year, the problem was that Garoppolo had the back injury and. You know, his trade value is not exactly at a high level at this time last year. Yeah, and so therefore, when we're looking at Jimmy Garoppolo and potentially a good fit, I mean, obviously the link has been typically to the Raiders because of Josh McDaniels and his connection there. There's also been talks about uh, the New York Jets as well when you consider the fact that they might just be a quarterback away. Um, what do you think is a good place for Jimmy Garoppolo to end up? I think those are possibilities. I also heard the Saints mentioned several times, and uh, so, you know, there's uh, – I don't think there's a direct connection there. Obviously, with the Jets, a lot of that coaching staff used to be in San Francisco. Maybe I shouldn't say a lot. Some of that coaching staff used to be in San Francisco. So there's a, you know, at least some kind of, a, you know, they're familiar with each other. 
Absolutely. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. We were scheduled to be joined by Gus Farratt in this next segment. We move things around. We already spoke with Gus Farratt, so Bob and I will get into some more NFL discussion as we are live here from Super Bowl Radio Row. Maybe we'll also update what's going on at the WM Phoenix Open. Don't forget that's happening. The first round, it was delayed, I believe, about four or 75 minutes or so due to frost. So we'll get into an update about what's happening out there, plus NBA trade deadline news. Plenty to discuss here in the world of sports. Extra Point, KDUS AM. Catch the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 and as always online at KDOS1060.com. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you live from Super Bowl Radio Row. As we're enjoying this Thursday, February 9th, uh, there's plenty going on here and uh, plenty just in the world of sports here trying to catch our breath, dissect everything that's going on. Let's do a little refresh about what's happening out at the WM Phoenix Open. So you have Adam Long and Keith Mitchell right now tied atop the leaderboard at three under par. Keith Mitchell... He came, uh, he actually was in contention at the AT&T Pebble Beach, and he was part of the Monday finish that happened, so he's uh, still continuing his good play. Let's check in with some of the uh, top-of-the-name leaderboard, if you will. Justin Thomas, he has an afternoon tee time. Scotty Scheffler, he as well has an afternoon tee time, so a lot of the big names teeing off in the afternoon. John Rahm, though, he also tees off in the afternoon, so we'll see how things are going to shape up at the WM. Phoenix Open. Tony Finau, though, he was on a lot of people's list. He's at two over par through five holes. Obviously, plenty of time for him to turn things around in his early going. Colin Morikawa, another player uh, who was also on a lot of people's radar. He's plus one through six. Hideki Matsuyama is plus one through six. Shane Lowry is also plus one through six. So we'll th- see how things continue on. Patrick Cantlay, he finds himself even par through four holes. And if you remember, uh, both uh, Cam Rogers, who joined us yesterday from Believe Network, and myself were feeling a little good about Patrick Cantlay and his chances this week. So we'll see if that continues on. Let's transition over into the NFL. There's a lot of players here today and uh, it's because the NFL honors is tonight which is actually taking place right here Uh, okay there's some weird things happening on site here Uh, David Njoku is here and he's uh, taking off his clothes so anywho uh, we'll continue uh, focusing here on the NFL honors which is tonight and the awards uh, for the season long in the NFL MVP Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Justin Jefferson are up for the MVP awards. I don't know about you, Bob, but I think it's Mahomes for me. Yeah, it is. And I think it really was I think it was Jalen Hurts for me until he got injured against the Bears and obviously missed some time there at the end. And it seems as if Mahomes has passed him. I'm actually surprised Jefferson's on this list. Nothing against Jefferson, but you don't see uh, wide receivers in these things very often. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Justin Jefferson, certainly him getting some love there. He'll be getting some love a little bit later on as well. I agree with you about Jalen Hurts. I mean, you look at just what the Eagles 
were able to do win situation wise when Jalen Hurts played only one loss when he didn't play two losses but for me with Mahomes I, I know that he's so good and we talk about him being such a generational talent but I think he was just asked to do a lot more this year uh, with the wide receiver situation the way that it was how he took over games and how he really I mean the contract dictates that he's the guy and he absolutely elevated to be the guy no doubt and uh, you know just on the Hertz side I guess if you're you know, the case I was making for Hertz you know, before he was injured in the game uh, against the Bears is that basically they restructured the entire offense to suit his skills and he definitely improved those skills during this season compared to last year when they made the move what was a four or five games into the season for him to be their starting quarterback you're absolutely right on that front uh, offensive player of the year and this is where I think Justin Jefferson for me comes in the options are Justin Jefferson Patrick Mahomes Tyreek Hill and Jalen Hurts Justin Jefferson led the league in receptions with 128 he led the league in yards with 1,809 uh, that was one of the best futures bets I took was Justin Jefferson yards I think that hit in like week 15 that was such a no sweat situation it was great but here's what What's just mind-boggling about his production, his usage, and how prominent he was in the Vikings' offensive success. Of his 132 touches, 84 of them came for first downs. Yeah, that's true. And I know that Tyreek Hill had similar numbers before they had the unfortunate quarterback carousel situation uh, with the Dolphins. And, you know, his, uh, you know, his first downs per receptions was insane. Uh, and obviously, you know, the yards after the catch. And really, I think you could have made a case for Hill to be the MVP of the league before, uh, before Tua got hurt. Yeah, and before he himself kind of got hurt there and was a little slowed. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, so, you know, again, again, though, let's talk a little bit about J- uh, Jalen Hurts. He is tied for second with rushing touchdowns in the league with 13. That is very impressive when you are, in fact, a quarterback. 22 passing touchdowns, and he has the fourth lowest interception rate. Uh, so certainly there's plenty good f- that happened with Jalen Hurts. So in no way, shape, or form uh, am I trying to slight him and what he meant to the Eagles and how he's elevated his game this year. Yeah, I always had a little issue with this. You know, you have the MVP, which is almost always going to be offensive players, and then you have the Offensive Player of the Year award. It's almost like a participation trophy. I guess whoever you don't vote for for the MVP, you decide that they're Offensive Player of the Year at that point. The runner-up. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. So it's, uh, like I said, it just seems to be, uh, you know, kind of well we didn't give you the MVP but you're the offensive player of the year I guess it's a leaving hope for the future that an MVP will go to a defensive player of the year we chronicled (laughs) it uh gosh I haven't say probably like a month ago and we went through how many different defensive players have won the MVP it's not many uh but let's go to the defensive player of the year award options are Nick Bosa Chris Jones and Micah Parsons Nick Bosa had 18 and a half sacks, 19 tackles for losses, and he averaged four quarterback hits per game. Yeah, I think actually this has changed uh, during the, the uh, course of the NFL calendar year, at least a you know, in-season year. Yeah, if this were like after halfway through the season, yeah, Parsons seems to be the only person we heard talked about. 
uh, Bosa, as you mentioned, the sack numbers uh, by the end of the season. And Chris Jones is also in here, but I don't you know, think that he's really uh, the uh, most serious candidate. I think it would be a surprise if Bosa does not win this award. Yeah, I think it's it's Bosa for me. Uh, Chris Jones has had a great season, and I don't think that this Chiefs defense would be where they are without him. Fifteen and a half sacks, uh, and he's had a career year for himself. Micah Parsons has obviously been really good, but it, it just seems like Nick Bosa was overall – and what he does, it doesn't matter where he's lining up. It, it doesn't matter how he's trying to rush the passer. And also he plays against the run, too. So I think he just has all sorts of intangibles uh, coming at you on the defensive side of the ball. I'll just add one more thing here. If you include the postseason, and I understand that those stats don't count, but if you include the postseason, right now Hassan Reddick has 19 and a half sacks more than anybody in the league. Yeah, Hassan Reddick. Well, let's just uh, take a moment and pause and talk about him. He's been really good with the Eagles here. Obviously, I think being able to have just uh, such a stout defensive line has certainly helped create some opportunities for him. But he really showed out what he can do uh, with Carolina and then getting the contract and getting rewarded and going and playing with the Eagles. And he's just elevated his play so far in the playoffs. That's absolutely true, and uh, I would think that that's uh, if you're making a, you know, if you have the Chiefs on Sunday, uh, I'm guessing you're trying to figure out, okay, if the Chiefs are going to win, how are they going to block Reddick? When it comes to the offensive rookie of the year, we have Garrett Wilson, Brock Purdy, and Kenneth Walker. Wilson led all rookies with 83 receptions, 1,103 yards, and 53 first downs. Only two drops for himself on the season here. And... I think these numbers are pretty impressive when you consider you had uh, Zach Wilson, Joe Flacco, and Mike White throwing you the ball. True. I think this is unfortunately, you know, all due respect, I think this is kind of a shallow pool. Uh, Wilson and Walker both had injuries during the season and didn't play every game. And then Brock Purdy played, what, seven or eight games, and he's included in this, which I think is absurd. I was going to ask that next. I mean, obviously what Brock Purdy did was really special for the 49ers, being able to step in, uh, keep the momentum for the 49ers and their playoff hopes alive. But is it really a, a fair, I, I guess, uh, fair to be able to have him in this category when his sample size was so small? Uh, I think, as I mentioned, I just think it's crazy. That's kind of a, absurd, as I used that word before, but... Yeah, I just don't think that either any of these candidates, I think the defensive candidates are much stronger than the offensive candidates for Rookie of the Year. Defensive Rookie of the Year will be the last one we'll do in this segment, and we'll come back and wrap up the rest of the honors on the other side. But Sauce Gardner, Aiden Hutchinson, and Tariq Woolen, uh, it's Sauce Gardner for me. He led the league in pass deflections. Uh, and it's not just that he's a rookie. He's made an impact just defensively as a whole might be one of the best players in the league. Agreed. And, uh, yeah, I think that you make a case for Hutchinson then because he, yeah, Hutchinson did an incredible job and a bad defense. Uh, yeah, but that Lions defense did get better, and that's uh, yeah, kind of lost in the shuffle. You know, the Lions made that run at the end of the year because their defense did improve, and Hutchinson was their best player. He absolutely stood out. And to be able to do it with the metrics that he had and the, the I guess, the uh, – and we'll uh, come back on the other side of the break here on Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060 live from Super Bowl Radio Row.
back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060 and as always online at KDOS1060.com. And if you missed it from yesterday morning, the big news here and part of the station is that you can operate now. Uh, Android users, you're coming soon. Apple users, it's live now. KDOS AM 1060 has an app, so go to your app store, type in KDOS 1060 and download the new app. Uh, We also have newly put up this morning is some listener reward opportunities for you. So uh, register now, get that app, get listening, and enjoy all that we have coming to you from Radio Row. Uh, I wanted to finish up my point uh, when we were talking about Defensive Rookie of the Year, and we both agree that for us it's Sauce Gardner, but Aiden Hutchinson, if maybe Sauce wasn't in in this category here, Aiden Hutchinson would be the guy. Uh, seven and a half sacks, three interceptions, and, and living up to the hype of being the uh, f- uh, number two overall pick and going and playing in his home state there after being a Michigan guy and going to Michigan, playing for the Detroit Lions. So living up to those expectations and having a really solid rookie season. Absolutely, and if you're an offensive coordinator, maybe the better way to look at this, uh, uh, a lot of these things are you know who you most need to be aware of, and obviously you you can throw away from another side from a Sauce Gardner, even though the Jets secondary is not bad, but uh, you know I don't I'm guessing as the season went on that uh, in fact I'm certain that he didn't have nearly as many targets in his direction. Hutchinson, they lined him up everywhere. You mentioned the three interceptions. You know, those were basically zone blitz, and he drops into coverage, and he obviously had the the one that comes to mind immediately is the one that he hit completely fold Aaron Rodgers in that game in, uh, in Detroit when they beat the Packers. Yeah, and he was left kind of dumbfounded about that. So that was, uh, you know, I'm sure pretty sweet for Aiden Hutchinson. And, and let's just give a little pop to Tariq Woolen here. I mean, he did lead uh, with the interception numbers for the rookies. And clearly this is a great draft pick for Seattle that they hit really well on these rookie draft picks so far. Yeah, they, they knocked it out of the park. I mean, they had you know, it, you know basically two starting tackles and you know two starting defensive backs just from one draft and uh, – yeah, you know, John Schneider's done quite a job there, and uh, you know they, they've—he's had some interesting drafts in the past. And, you know, he, he you know, the Legion of Boom. A lot of those guys were not uh, high draft picks, and you know that turned out to be quite a group. Needless to say, uh, this time around, though, pretty much for the first five picks of the draft, uh, you know, instantly hit and were difference makers in their first year. Absolutely. Moving on to comeback player of the year uh, options are Geno Smith, Christian McCaffrey, and Saquon Barkley. I want to give you the platform for a second here. Uh, Geno is a great story, and maybe he's one of the best stories of the year, but does he fit in the category of comeback player of the year if he just came back from being on the bench? Not for me. Um, I've never been a big fan of this award, no matter what sport it is, because it just uh, kind of uh, seems to be uh, ambiguous as far as what the uh, actual, you know, what what is the definition here? (laughs) So I think this is a pretty good example. You know, Saquon's obviously come back from, you know, multiple injuries over, unfortunately, his career and so forth. So there's that. And, uh, 
the McCaffrey thing, I obviously was injured last season, but uh, and uh, it was probably overused. Not probably. He was definitely overused in his days in Carolina for the most part. But, you know, the Geno thing, while we all acknowledge it's a great story, I'm not sure if he should be comeback player of the year or a candidate for this. Yeah, so for me, I think uh, it comes down to Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley. Both teams um, led their teams to playoff playoff opportunities here. But I think for me, it comes down to Christian McCaffrey. He scored at least one touchdown in nine straight games with the 49ers and really had to take over some load when, you know, Debo Samuel was missing some time as well. And there was the running back situation as it was in general. Uh, so for him to kind of hit the ground running... I, if I'm going to have to pick somebody out of these three categories here, I'm going uh, Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, if you win this award, you, you obviously had uh, some kind of adversity to come back from. I get the, the, you know, it's the good news, bad news thing is you had to, some adversity to come back from, and I guess you did. <laughs> uh, so Coach of the Year, options are Brian Dable, Doug Peterson, and Kyle Shanahan. Uh, when it comes to Brian Dable, I mean, Daniel Jones looked good. Now all of a sudden there's uh, – conversation swirling about what do you do with him do you pay him this big contract so this is a good problem for them to have he looks good within the roster uh, and with the offense the roster itself though was not full of stars and yet they were able to win games and make the playoffs uh, to me this is a no-brainer and I will say that there I think there are more coach of the year candidates this year than there have been in past years uh, so you know there's a nice pool of candidates here but what Dayball did, you know, maybe you know, I'm just going back to what I thought of the Jets before the, the, the excuse me, the Giants before the season started. I thought they, were, they had one of the worst rosters in the NFL, and I'm not a hundred percent sure that that's different at the end of this season. And I changed my mind on that. I think they just maxed out with what they had. They definitely coached him up. They had uh, you know a lot of close games, and he, he made some decisions that seemed to work out more times than not. Uh, so for me, Dayball is the winner here. Yeah, you know, I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, the only one that I'm going to throw out here and say, hey, what about him uh, in Kyle Shanahan? Just because you go on a 12-game win streak, you don't have your starting quarterback in Trey Lance. You have to go from Jimmy G to Brock Purdy. So just really going through three different quarterbacks and having that 12-game win streak I think means something. That's true, even though you know, it certainly helps when John Lynch goes out and gets Christian McCaffrey for you. Yeah, 100%, and you have that defense as well. That's also very true. Best front seven in the league, I think. Well, we have to not, since we talked about Kyle Shanahan as well, let's also talk about Doug Peterson a bit here. They did go, they being the Jaguars, did go from being last to uh, making the playoffs and winning a playoff game. So there is at least uh, looking at why Doug Peterson was hired to bring that stability, to bring that NFL coaching experience, and to be able to help tutor Trevor Lawrence along did you see a big enough leap in Trevor Lawrence this year to say hey this is on the right track it's on the right track I also don't understand why Peterson's on this list quite frankly you know they dug themselves a hole early in the season and he made some bad decisions they lost some close games and a lot of that had to do with his decision making and it seems like people forgot that because it was so far back in like September 
There is even an assistant coach of the year uh, to round out the awards here. D'Amico Ryans, Ben Johnson, and Shane Steichen. I can only imagine who who you're picking on this list, but if you do look at Ben Johnson, the Lions offense went from 29th in DVOA to 5th, and Jared Goff looked good. Well, I'm going to surprise you here. Because I was certainly advocating Ben Johnson be the next Cardinals head coach, and I just thought that he would be best for what they had coming back, and if they wanted to go offense, I thought it would have been the best candidate. But you know, it's between Ryan, Ryan's and Steichen here for me. You know, Ryan's did a really nice job. Obviously, we talked about the talent level that the Niners defense has. And Steichen is kind of like a year-and-a-half award. Uh, remember, he was kind of you know, handed the keys to the offensive car uh, four or five games into last season when they made the change of quarterback, they made the change in offense, and Steichen had a ton to do with that. And so that kind of goes into this year. So it's uh, you know, kind of, that's kind of the way I look at that. But uh, you know, the Johnson thing was more of a – did a nice job, obviously. I think you know he had some he had a lot of weapons on that team too, uh, but uh, that uh, the, he was more of a Cardinals coaching candidate for me than uh, the assistant coach of the year in the NFL. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's as well, obviously getting his opportunity to go coach and be a head coach with the uh, Texans and what he was able to do with obviously a ton of talent on that 49ers defense, but certainly made it all gel and work. And we have we're getting a little nitpicky in terms of the the 49ers secondary, but he was able to make things work. Uh, Shane Steichen as well. He's still coaching uh, Eagles offensive coordinator and what they've been able to do uh, with with really a fantastic offensive line which we've been talking about all week and then really making all the pieces work together in terms of what they were able to go and get in uh, a trade in A.J. Brown. Right and the fact that they were able to you know not really seem to miss a beat and that really kind of you know from the start uh, you know Brown was an immediate impact and Maybe they got to kind of figure out how to reincorporate Brown right now heading into Sunday because he certainly has not been as big a weapon you know, towards the end of the regular season and definitely in the postseason that he was previous, uh, really for the first 12 or 13 games when it seemed like he was making every big play they had. Well, we're live here on Super Bowl Radio Row, uh, and uh, certainly there's been a lot of activity. We saw uh, we, we saw Gronk earlier, and he was uh, getting some last-minute pep talk from uh, his coaching or his kicking coach in Adam Vinatieri. And of course, Gronk is is doing all of that kicking live during uh, half. Uh, I don't know when it is actually going to be, but it's live during a commercial break during the Super Bowl. And it's part of the FanDuel promotion uh, for the kick of destiny. So his leg is warmed up and ready to go. We will come back for our last segment of hour number two in the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. And as always, online at KDOS1060.com. And newly now for Apple users, Android coming soon, download the KDOS 1060 app. Extra Point, Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here on KDUS AM 1060.
Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060 and as always online at KDOS1060.com. Live from Super Bowl Radio Row on this Thursday, February 9th. Let's continue about things that happened across the NFL. Uh, Roger Goodell, he met uh, the media yesterday for his State of the League address. We'll get into a little bit about what he touched on in that press conference. But first, Damar Hamlin, he was here yesterday making an appearance to receive the NFLPA's award, uh, Allen Page Community Award. And obviously that is uh, incredibly well-deserved. And it was great to see Damar Hamlin making an appearance and, and speaking out publicly as well in honor of that award. Yeah, I got to see part of that press conference yesterday and uh, I believe it was on NFL Network. Um, and uh, the fact that you know, his father was there and you know, he spoke very highly of his father and talked about how his, you know, he did plenty of community service so, you know, work long before you know, the world, you know, they didn't know who DeMar Hamlin was before the infamous Monday night in Cincinnati. Uh, but he did tons of work in the community before that and he talked about how Basically, his father uh, was, you know, kind of his uh, you know, role model as far as his community service participation and and so forth. And the fact that, you know, Hamlin was there and, you know, walked on the stage and his father was with him. That was, I think, the coolest moment that I've seen this far this, far this week during the entire Super Bowl festivities. Yeah. And, you know, Jamar Hamlin really is just a light. Uh, with something that was so tragic that happened to him and what potentially could have been much worse than what ended up happening, how he's handled everything that has come his way uh, since he came to and the success story started. He has just been really phenomenal to watch him handle all of that. And then going back to what you say, this just really just seems to be embedded in the character of who he is. Absolutely. No question. And uh, yeah, I remember watching him and he was at the University of Pittsburgh and you know, he was a defensive back that uh, got your attention. Uh, you know, he made plays and, uh, you know, he was uh, you know, not just interceptions, but he certainly wasn't shy of tackling. And, you know, he was a guy that uh, if you just casually watch some college football games and turn on a pit game, uh, you immediately noticed that he was on the field. And that was a good defense, too, that he was part of. It wasn't just him and you know, making plays and nobody else not doing anything. And But he stood out on a good defense when he was in college. Uh, things that Roger Goodell mentioned in his State of the League address. Uh, so we know that Thursday night football, other than the first game of the year, there were some lackluster games and some lackluster performances in Amazon's first uh, go around with Amazon Prime streaming here. It looks like 2023, though, is going to be the first season of flex scheduling for Monday night football, because that has always been much maligned from ESPN in, in wanting to make sure that they were getting uh, good games for the themselves in that standalone situation on Monday night. So 2023 is going to mark the first time that flex scheduling is allowed for a Monday night football. Goodell did mention that he could see a future, not 2023, but a future with Thursday night football flex scheduling. 
Yeah, I'm sure Al Michaels was happy to hear that, huh? Oh, <laughs> well, I'm sure he was thrilled yeah. to hear that. I do think it's interesting because you still have to flex. It's not like you can flex like that week. There is still right. some, uh, you know, flexing a couple of weeks out to make sure that all of the logistics are set and everything like that. So you still could misstep with some flexing and it'll be interesting to see how many different flex opportunities the NFL will grant uh, and then also how much NBC is upset with this because they used to have the monopoly on the flexing. That's true and also one of the problems with flexing and this has been a criticism in the past has been you know you've got people that you know plan for as soon as the schedule comes out you know if they're out if they don't live in the city where the game's being played that uh, okay, we're going to try to yeah, we're going to put all our financial resources into uh, going home or whatever for a weekend, and we want to base it around that game. And you know, the time of the game has changed, and you know what it, it, it alters the plans of a lot of people when you flex a game. You know what? That's a fantastic point. I'm thinking about back to the time that I got to go uh, to Gillette Stadium. I looked at the schedule and I was planning it all out because it made sense. But you're right. If, you know, you, you plan a flight out on a certain day or a certain time based upon the time of the game. And if it gets flexed to a Thursday night, now all of a sudden your plans completely change. Maybe this is just the start of how... <sighs> Money is talking because it's coming from the broadcast networks and that the fan experience and the fan is really taking a, a back seat. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, you know, there has been plenty of criticism in the past. It's just uh, kind of uh, dwarfed by the media and a lot of the media outlets. I don't think are going to really talk about that story, but it's been out there. Uh, that uh, you know, what I did, the, the scenario I just mentioned, that, that's, uh, this, this is not a new thing. Uh, the other thing, Goodell did get asked about officiating, and he, uh, not to my surprise, had said, quote, yeah. for us, when you look at officiating, I don't think it's ever been better in the league. He also then added, quote, the reality is our officials are held to an incredibly high standard. Will we try to get better? You betcha. So obviously he is sticking up for the officiating and uh, how that is much of a topic here in the offseason. I'm right with you. I mean, it's not like uh, it would have been a news story had he said, well, I thought it wasn't as good as it should have been or it wasn't good at all or whatever. whatever. Any answer but what he gave, that would have been a news story. I don't think what he said yesterday was terribly newsy. No, not at all. And the the other thing that I actually got thinking about this yesterday when we were talking about some of the things that Roger Goodell would potentially address yesterday, and I had also mentioned as well um, how I think there is a perception problem right now. Maybe it is with the officiating. It also is kind of with how they're going to figure out how to mirror uh, the ability to, to keep the game the way that it is, but also continue to incorporate technology. And one of the questions that I had asked Dean Blandino at that Fox Media Day that we had heard in yesterday's program, it was about how the chips are in the footballs and whether or not uh, we're going to see a future where that's going to kind of take over and be able to help with some down and distance. And of course, you have the conversation about sky judges to help with officiating to really get this right. And I was wondering if maybe why we kind of differ on the point of view here is 
a generational thing. And it's because me and people younger than me have grown up with so much technology. And mm -hmm. so we kind of sit there and wonder, well, why aren't you using technology? And then when you're actively accepting sports books as being a part of like an aligned partner, you want to make sure you get it right. Yeah, I think Blundino had a really good point when you talked with him as far as it's hard to you have the chip in the football, but you also have the, let's say, the, uh, the, the runner, the ball carrier, or there's a play at the goal line, is the guy's knee down. And can you tell that and so forth? So I think there's a lot more dynamics than other than just a chip in the football. I thought he had a really good point there that, quite frankly, I really hadn't thought about too much in the, in the in previously. And, you know, something that... Uh, like I said, I, I just hadn't pondered that point before. I think it's absolutely a situation where it's a complex problem and we want some simple answers to it, and there really isn't a simple answer to get it right. That's true. Uh, you mentioned the eye in the sky thing, and, and actually it's worked out pretty well for college football. I mean, they kind of have that eye in the sky thing going there. Uh, it hasn't worked out in every conference. Seems like the Pac-12 has been lacking and lagging behind other conferences as far as that goes, as far as uh, efficiency. But uh, I think for the most part, it's worked out pretty well in college football the last uh, two or three years when they seem like they've really incorporated that more. You mentioned college football there, and we talked about it, how there's all these football leagues, the XFL, the AFL, uh, the arena football has decided to come back, college football, NFL, but a lot of things that ended up getting incorporated that maybe we didn't realize were going to be came from the XFL in, in certain circumstances. So I'm curious to see how if the XFL or the AFL will be experimenting with anything else yes. moving forward, and then the NFL will adopt it. Absolutely, you should do that. Yeah, that's something that you know, minor league baseball, they've done that. A lot of the things we're incorporating this year in major league baseball have been uh, tested before in the minor leagues, and some of the rules changes are because they were successful in the minor leagues. This will wrap up hour number two here on Extra Points on KDOS AM 1060. Hour number three on the other side of the break. Expected to be joined by Sean King from VEASAN around 12.15. He's Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortzlaro, live from Super Bowl Radio Row here on this Thursday, February 9th. <laughs> 